0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Herman, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs.
1: All right, hello, everyone. My name is Saleh Sheik. I'm a PGY3 at the UTPMNR program, and I am here with Dr. Tout, who um, will be joining us for our podcast today. How are you doing today, Dr. Tout?
2: Very well, thanks. Very well.
1: Okay, you have far too many accolades for me to introduce you, so please go ahead and uh, let everybody know who you are and what you do.
2: Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm at the University of Toronto in Canada, and I'm a professor in the Faculty of Music, and I also have cross appointments in the Faculty of Medicine. And uh, I'm the director of the Musical Health Science Research Center here. That's basically a brain neuroscience oriented basic and clinical neuroscience research in music uh, platform and uh, we also, have a, a MA and a PhD in music and health science, and I direct that too. Well, so that's uh, also, i my position is actually I should mention that I hold a Canada Research Chair endowed chair from the federal government, so we need to mention that in official uh, introductions. So, Justin Trudeau so far pays my salary,
1: okay? All right. <laughs> Very, very diverse background. Very interesting. So, uh, do, do you have a background in music specifically? Did you play an instrument? And did you? Um...
2: Yeah, I was a yep. professional violinist and uh, then, uh, became interested in uh, brain research, science, the science around music, I mean, music has a long tradition of also being considered science so that was really not this major leap that people may think so um, in the middle ages music was actually part of the quadrivium of arithmetic geometry astronomy and then music so the idea that there's some uh, scientific uh, connection to the idea how the brain processes music that is Always interesting, interesting to me, and I wanted to take a break on performance uh, in the late twenties, and uh, found out that in the uh, in the states uh, there are some programs that sort of combine the idea of music psychology, music theory, and also some clinical aspects like music therapy. So I thought I take a I uh, apply for a scholarship, the Fulbright, and go. If I get the money, I go. Mm -hmm. but that was really more a temporary idea to take a break from the uh, performance um, grind sometimes that can turn into grind too Most Mm -hmm. professional musicians know that well and uh, i ran into an extremely exciting and supportive and stimulating research environment at michigan state that's where i got my doctorate and so they offered me to stay there as a Research assistant for my dissertation, and so I guess the rest is history. So I have, I have at some point in time in my life, I started living in parallel. Mm -hmm. So So, highly connected. So it's really not uh, separate at all.
1: And how did you get involved with uh, brain injury rehabilitation and apply your music background to this field? Yeah,
2: that's a I also uh, initially, I was very interested in uh, sort of more music cognition and understanding music, the background of music performance, how we were able, in from a brain point of view, to learn discrete finger movements, for instance, on the violin or the piano, hundreds and thousands of them in very short periods of time. So that seemed to be very specific to music learning. And since there was a clinical com- clinical component in my so uh, integrative PhD program, there was a therapy component in there. So I looked at what they were doing there, and that was not terribly exciting to me. It was more interpretive, well-being ideas. And uh, my mentor really encouraged this idea of transfer some of these ideas. Maybe there's something more to that, that where we can use some of the elements of music in a much more direct way. Music perception, music performance, music production in a more direct way to apply to, to brain uh, health And um, so the you know, obvious thing then for me back then was, well, since I was interested in motor learning and the elements of music that facilitate this high performance capability, I said, we'll, we'll try to apply that stuff. These elements to uh, people movement that have lost their ability to move movement as well so so the big element that uh, obviously I think is one of the uh, scaffolds in music learning to make this to optimize music learning it has something to do with rhythm and timing I mean music is a temporal language it only exists in time uh, brainwaves sound waves etc. And so we basically just thought we take a stroke patient, just uh, exploratory. Take a stroke patient, hemiparesis, walks consistently arrhythmic, consistently every stride is a rhythmic, short one and a long one, short one. You know. And we'll play a rhythmically enhanced music, and we'll see if he. Uh, rhythm perception process in the brain can actually change how the motor output. Mm-hmm. The okay.
1: okay, I think we're, that's good, we're getting ahead. So I, I know you've done many, many years of research in this field. So for the that's listeners, <laughs> in brief, what is NMT, neurologic music therapy? Oh,
2: that's, uh, well, that's sort of, that came uh, a lot later. We did research, okay. just research for 10 years, we established some very strong effects of music uh, on, um, changes in the brain, in terms of, especially with movement, motor control. And then we also looked into. Verbal language rehabilitation and cognition now. Memory with Alzheimer's and music, but, uh, also in the late nineties and early 2000s, a long time ago, uh, the question at the medical conferences was not anymore on these data. Are they real? Can we replicate them? Can we use them? Is this good science? That was established. Question that, especially from the clinical neurologist came to us was, who can do this? Yeah, very simple question. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> they said, we have a music therapist on the staff and they, they do very, very different types of music. And then we have our great rehab staff, OT, SLP, PT, neuropsych, et cetera, et cetera. They know everything about that part of the brain, but they don't know know anything about music. So that was actually a a challenge that I hadn't hadn't really anticipated. So I had to help create a continuing education system. That we call neurologic music therapy, where we had so that we looked at clusters of evidence across neuro rehab approaches, where music could be a part. And so we have twenty techniques now. There's an academy, a neurologic music therapy academy. So I'm not a, I don't do neurologic music therapy as a therapist. Mm-hmm. I generate hopefully a lot of the research, like many other groups in the world, to, to support that clinical practice. And I think it's been successful very successful. There's um, thousands of NMT certified people now all over the world, 60 plus countries. And in the US, one of the areas, which is the gate training, specifically designed for gait training, the stroke and Parkinson, and other movement disorders. For stroke, it's in the VA and DOD national stroke care guidelines and in Canada for the whole country in the heart and stroke guidelines. So I think it's been a NMT has been sort of the clinical branch, the translational branch that other people do. I just hopefully create good data for that.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, so let's uh, let's examine one example um, that you mentioned in the uh, grand rounds presentation. It was a uh, patient with cerebellar ataxia. And we were able to see the uh, gait on uh, a video, and then. Uh, before a musical intervention, and then after the music therapy, we were able to see some improvement in the in the gait. Um, so what uh, what did that therapy look like? And, and uh, can you elaborate on this uh, yeah. this
2: example? So the, one of the videos I showed was actually the very first case we ever tried. It was a patient with a cerebellum. Uh, lesion due, actually due to surgery, not to a different kind of approach who had this gate, And my research physiotherapist and I tried to play with this idea of rhythm perception, rhythmic stimulation to see if that affects the motor system. And in that person, it affected beautifully the motor system. We never followed up with any systematic cerebellar studies until much later. But then the next study where we thought we could really pinpoint that better was with stroke. And so that's where we just started doing clinical trials with stroke, with RES in stroke. And uh, so the, the effect is sort of like a two-step process. The effect of changes is almost immediate, like within, like they walk without self-paced, they walk rhythm based so the effect of the change is immediate. Now, the next thing we had to call up, obviously uh, go into like clinical trials and see if they go for three weeks or six weeks, go through that training program, the their sub-acute rehab stage, uh, when we test them or retest them without music, playing functional performance, is there actually a stable change, They walk better? They can actually translate that into not the music has to be there, under my headphones, rather than that is a training stimulus. RES is an effective training stimulus. So we developed uh, a protocol, six step protocol, about 30 minutes, and it's used all over the world pretty much. And the data, the clinical trial data showed that compared to some other approaches, for instance, NDT, Bobat, and other, other typical gate approaches, RES had significant advances. Advantages, and so that's the that's what the clinicians now do based on our data. Okay, so um, it's immediate. The entrainment effect is immediate. So
1: so as far as what the uh patients are listening to, is this like a uh, kind of a proprietary blend of percussion and rhythm, rhythmic sounds or is this popular music? Is, is it um, what the patient likes? How do you select um, what is listened to?
2: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a very good question. The, uh, the music, the biggest, the most important thing is to match the rhythm pattern, the rhythm the rhythmic timing, the frequency of the rhythmic stimulus, the beat, mm-hmm. has to match the cadence that you want the patient to walk in. So that has to be some kind of well, a kinematic therapeutic judgment. Okay, sixty steps a minute, fifty steps a minute, seventy steps a minute. That's key. Because if you set that wrong, especially with Parkinson, people can fall very easily. They walk too fast. So there, there, there's that the shuffling step can get actually worse if you set the wrong frequency. That's the key. So, and then uh, you basically embed it with other musical elements. So if you have, the the, the problem is it has to be digitized so you can actually change the music. So if you just load down something from Spotify, you don't have that ability plus that music is not stable. So you can recreate on a tablet, you know, music software synthesizers, that stuff has become extremely uh, accessible. You can recreate those, that kind of music. Then uh, the the patient is obviously more motivated when they listen to music that they like. And motivation is a big success indicator in rehab. Uh, You can also do this live. You can uh, play in a style that the patient is familiar with on a, um, on a keyboard see. or some other instruments. Some, physio- some physiotherapists don't have any musical resources. So they just use uh, metrics.
1: Fascinating. So it's almost a uh, custom tailored auditory prescription catered to whatever the patient's goals are dictated by the therapists. So, in your, uh, experience, how uh, do we know how auditory input affects the, uh, motor cortex? Do we have an answer to that as far yeah, as what, what you're seeing? In the,
2: yeah, no, we didn't have a good answer to begin uh, in the beginning because auditory motor connections were, were completely under So, if you looked into sensory motor. Control research, it was pro vision. So, we showed up in 1993, that's a long time ago, at one of the Society for Neuroscience conferences. And I think we were the only one out of 8,000 abstracts that had anything to do with auditory mode. Auditory mode. So we've done some basic research with EEG, MEG, fMRI, actually PET, doing right now dopamine imaging with Parkinson's. And so the, the basic uh, process is not just auditory cortex, motor cortex. It starts actually already much lower. So, there's, uh, uh t- well, times the timing of sound is transmitted into the tickle formation and transmitted into spinal. Motor nerves, which begin to be sort of primed and respond. In some kind of entrainment fashion, We did some work at UCLA many, many years ago on that part. Because we had a patient who had a medial stroke, so they were cortically deaf, but they could still adapt to rhythmic stimuli, their movement. So basically it's an entrainment process. The auditory system is a very fast, temporally precise oscillatory processor. And the firing of the motor the auditory neurons is basically projected on multiple levels in the brain into motor regions. And so the motor neurons begin to fire in resonance. I'm trying to simplify that a little bit. But that's basically the, 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 the locking process, the auditory system locks the motor system. And that turns into a change behavioral kinematic output for instance walking or arm movements or whatever. So we know that there are very close, very fast, rapid neural connections between the auditory system projections, pathway projections, into the primary motor cortex and the premotor cortex. Uh, the axis vesiculus, for instance, is we want to get it, very specific as well the cortical pathway transports that information.
1: Wow, it's very fascinating. Um, have you noticed any change uh, in the effect if the patient is a previous musician or they have any formal musical training? Um, does that affect output? And does that affect um,
2: not though, not in n m t maybe if there, maybe some people there. no i mean it, it doesn't it's it's fundamental to how the brain organizes movement and the auditory input just changes that on a physiological basis so uh, musical talent does really not play any role in that process because its not a skill based Therapy is not a talent based therapy. If you want to teach Parkinson a dance, which works on a very similar kind of principles, but that counts, of course, a skill comp- component to that. So there are some people who may be avid dancers, they may be doing better in, as Ms. Parkinson. But with uh, RES, that's a, physio- that's a fundamental universal phys- physiological. Connection. Okay.
1: And in this particular, uh, example of cerebellar ataxia, what specific, um, improvements in gait and uh, motor planning do you see?
2: As I said, that's, that's the only cerebellar case we ever touched. We did later on about 10 years later, we did a study of finger tapping. The cerebell- cerebellum. patients to see if the cerebellum really uh, is sort of the big chronometric timer that prohibits entrainment auditory motor responses. So we did that study in uh, one of the big research centers in Italy, in Rome. It's always a nice place to do research. And uh, so we had we had a finger tapping paradigm, that tap to a rhythmic beat, and uh, <clears throat> Then we had random changes speeding up the beat or slowing down the beat at the conscious level of perception, so you could hearly, hear really oh, hear beats slowing down, beats speeding up, or subconsciously, so the, the changes were like within millisecond range, so you could not consciously hear that. Now, in normal, in healthy people, they can actually respond to a change from 500 millisecond beat to 495 millisecond beat. It, the auditory system is an, it's a whole highly superbly charged supercharged timing timing perception system. So we did this with uh, cerebral patients, uh, atrophic and a lesion, so two groups. And actually, when you take the motor noise out, the variability out of the tapping curves, they did exactly like the healthy subjects. So there was more uh sort of end endpoint variability in their control, so that supports nicely this idea of cerebellum being sort of an overall optimizer of brain function. But if you take, if you took mathematically, statistically, you move the noise, the variability now, it did exactly the same. The curves looked exactly the same, like Hal C. So um, that we published a couple of papers on that because we thought that was pretty remarkable in terms of what is to all of the cerebellum. You know, is it, is it the stopwatch of the brain and apparently it is not. It is an optimizing system, but time perception takes place on many, many different levels of the brain. But we never looked at any clinical major like day training, but we assumed, and some people actually may do this work, some we assumed based on those kind of basic data, that cerebellar patients should be able to use RS because their basic timing perception is okay.
1: Right, absolutely fascinating
2: topic. Um, so,
1: what would you tell um, uh, trainees or learners, residents, uh, if they want to get involved in this this field? How can we How can we do that?
2: Uh, well, it depends on. The- I mean, actually a lot of places in the US and in the, in the world that actually have an NMT staff. So for instance, uh, Tier Memorial Hermann has a, has NMT therapist on the staff. Uh, Spalding in Boston, that's Craig in Denver has. So there are lots of hospitals that actually have that. So <clears throat> that's one way to collaborate. If you have NMT people there, collaborate with them. If you're in a uh, sort of university connected research environment like your campus, there may actually be researchers who do that kind of, it could be in uh, kinesiology that do that kind of research. Um, The other thing is we actually have the, the academy does six, seven, eight, four day courses on neurologic music therapy. So if you go on the website and look for that stuff, you can actually participate. And right now it's still virtual. Eventually it's going to go back. We actually did a lot of trainings at Tia Memorial Harmon for 10 years on on an annual basis. So there are different ways you can get uh, linked into that. I can think of 3, right? way. if you have an NMT staff, work with them, uh, you may be surrounded by researchers that are actually doing auditory motor. Clinical research already, or let's go to the source and take a 4 day course.
1: All right. Thank you so much for, uh, talking, uh, with the listeners about this very interesting topic. Uh, Again, this is Dr. Michael Tout out of University of Toronto. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, for uh, talking to us about this very, very interesting topic. All right. Yep. Yeah, Thanks very much. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Bye.
0: would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.